Thank you, John. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Oh, Rebecca left her prayer up here. Shall we pray for this together? For your dad, bad skin infection. <laughs> we will pray for that. Pray for my dad. He's got a skin infection. A um, couple other things to let you know. Uh, I don't know how many of you may or may not have known Simon Boddington, uh, but Simon passed away a couple months ago, and uh, we're having a memorial service for him here this afternoon at 3 p.m. that his wife, Janet, wanted to extend an invitation to the Bamerian family to. Uh, and then with the summer kickoff on June 9th, I wanted to say a couple of things. So this is our big celebration of our graduates. So during the service, we're going to celebrate our graduates who are moving up uh, grade levels. And uh, also, we're going to do a big party at the Kaplan House afterward, a uh, big potluck. And we're going to celebrate baptisms. So if you or your child or uh, someone you're aware of is interested in baptism, please talk to me. I'd love to talk to you more about baptism, uh, why we see baptism as uh, a beautiful step in our faith journey and why we see it as important. So um, with that, uh, last week was pretty good, huh? That was fun. Uh, so for the next several weeks, I want to do this series I'm calling Practicing Resurrection. Uh, and we talked about last week this idea of how new life emerges from death, how resurrection can happen uh, in the midst of something that, that feels like it is so deeply painful and a death experience. So I want to, uh, for the next several weeks, explore this idea of practicing resurrection. And one of the things I talked about last week was this, intellectual ascent alone is inadequate. We must experience the risen Christ. And so if we are a people who are going to practice resurrection in our day-to-day -day lives, then we need practices in our life. And so I want to, we're going to do three practices today. Uh, I'm going to open with one, and then I'll teach a little bit, and then I'll close with one that will lead into our third practice that we practice together every week, and that is the table, uh, the bread and the cup partaking of what we remember and, and see as Jesus's body and blood given for us. So a few weeks ago, uh, I did a practice with you all reading our text for the day uh, a couple of times. I want to do that again this morning. And if we can keep this slide up for a little bit, uh, here's the thing I want to do as we read this text. Often, well, we in the West have done a fantastic job of the scientific method. Uh, we, uh, modernism, ha we, we've just figured things out. It's also helped us see that we don't have everything figured out, right? Uh, that there's a lot of brokenness in, in our ideas of having everything figured out. Uh, but this scientific method that we've become very good at, we as Western Christians have become really good at carrying that into the way we read the Bible. And for many, it, the Bible has become like a, a textbook to dissect and figure out what does it mean? What is it saying? Uh, and all of that is fine. Uh, but I, I want to invite us into the story today. And so as I read this, 
if there are things that emerge mentally, if there are things that you intellectually assent to, like, oh, this is happening, oh, this is what that means, OK, that's great. Uh, grab hold of that, but then I, wa I want to invite you to let it go. And I want us to invite God's spirit to speak to us personally on how this story from 2,000 years ago connects to our story today. Uh, what is the experience God is inviting you into? The experience of the risen Christ, more than just intellectually assenting to something, more than just uh, intellectually believing something, but actually experiencing the presence of the risen Christ in this story, in your story, in our collective story, uh, in this place here and now in your heart. So uh, I want to invite, I'm going to read it through twice, and I want to invite you into a locked room. You're in a locked room with Jesus's closest followers because you are deathly afraid of what could happen to you now that the one you followed has been killed. Uh, so let's enter into this story. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. God, as we read this sacred story another time. I pray that you would breathe on us and that your spirit within us would speak to us. 
on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. I'd love to hear from a couple of folks what God stirred in you in this story. Anyone care to share? Cashy. Grace. Grace. Nice. Anyone else? I am. Um, what stood out to me was that their fear was real. I mean, mm. real things happened. Their mm. fear was real. And uh, they locked themselves away, and Jesus still came in for them. Yeah. Anyone else? One more? I thought about how uh, they knew the scripture so well and how they thought, oh, we really screwed this up mm. for thousands of years. This is what it really meant. Mm. He was a military leader. He came to save us from the mm. And in my opinion, Yeah, nice. Okay. Met yeah. where they were. <laughs> he met them where they were. He met Thomas. I mean, he wanted Thomas to change. He said, stop doubting, believe. But he didn't admonish them for it. He just, he just there with them. Yeah, there was no criticism. Just met them where they were at. It's great. It's really good. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. 
Okay, yeah, it's great. Uh, first time, twice, Jesus says, peace be with you. And then the second appearance, again, the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Barry? I have a question. Why, why would Jesus tell his disciples, if you don't forgive, they will not be forgiven? Yeah, see now, Barry, you're intellectually assenting to something rather than experiencing. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's all kinds of scholarship on that bit. And I, it, I'll tell you a piece of what I think, Jesus. It, if Jesus' words are, peace be with you, then he breathes the Holy Spirit on them and gives them the gift of the Spirit, which brings peace. I think part of what Jesus is saying is, uh, Part, part of the, what the Spirit will enable you to do is to forgive those you don't think you can forgive. And if you forgive them, they're forgiven. And if you don't, you're still holding on to something that is not going to give you peace. And they're not forgiven in, in, in your own expression, in, in your own inner being. And you're actually continuing to be behind locked doors because you won't forgive. Thank you. people could use some hope and peace today. Um, yeah, I want to give you a little update. Uh, so I asked you all to pray uh, for Jenna and I. We went to North Carolina for a week uh, to kind of scout out North Carolina and see um, about starting a nonprofit there. And uh, uh, I could use some peace, uh, kind of living in a bit of my own fear and anxiety, because uh, to be honest, we didn't receive the level of clarity we hoped for. Uh, and so we're wrestling through um, being around uh, community and knowing we wouldn't have that right away in North Carolina. And so wondering, do we start the nonprofit here in California? Uh, do we move back to Michigan, where we're from, and have community and, and start it there? Uh, and so now I'm asking you to, to pray for clarity, uh, more clarity uh, for us and our family. And this is what I, we are praying for. Uh, God, what is your best for our family in this next season of life? Uh, what is your yes for us? And uh, may our yes align with your yes. Uh, we, we are longing for God's best for our family in this next season of life and um, would really be grateful for your prayers that you too would pray uh, God, please reveal your best uh, for Matt and Jenna and the kids in this next season of life. Um, all right. So there's a first thing I want to talk about is this image of locked doors. Uh, locked doors. I think this is, I mean, while this is talking about physical locked doors in, in this story, it, it just feels like a compelling metaphor for our lives, doesn't it? 
what are the locked doors you are hiding behind this morning? Uh, what are the fears you are carrying around uh, uh, that are keeping you from unlocking the doors? Uh, in, in the book of Revelation, uh, John is penning this letter to different churches. And in one of the churches, he, he writes this letter and he says this. Uh, he says, Jesus is, is standing at a door. And he says, Jesus standing at the door says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever lets me in, I, I will eat with them. And so it, this, has, uh, this text has often been used to talk about people who don't believe in Jesus. And Jesus is standing at the door uh, knocking. That, that's not what's going on in the context, actually. Jesus is standing at the door of a church and saying, Hey, yo, can I come in? Uh, Jesus is standing at the door of the Christian's heart and saying, can I come in? Uh, and, and so I think sometimes Jesus stands at our locked doors longing to come in. And then other times I think Jesus is just like, oh, forget it, I'm going in. And that's what he does with the disciples, isn't it? He just goes right through those locked doors. Uh, and here's a thought. There is no locked door that can keep the risen Christ out. He enters through the locked doors of our hearts and speaks peace. Shalom. Uh, sometimes Jesus stands at the door and knocks, and other times Jesus just comes right in. But guess what? He, he never forces himself on us. He just simply enters in and says, peace. Whatever you're going through, whatever heartache, whatever anxiety, whatever fear, the risen Christ simply enters in and speaks a word of peace. I'm here. I'm present to you. Peace be with you. Christ enters the locked doors of our hearts and speaks a word of peace and hope and love, whatever we are experiencing or going through. This, this is, in many ways, a whole new creation bursting forth, the shalom of God that God created the world with. There is a whole new creation bursting forth. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about belief and doubt. Uh, I think Thomas kind of gets a bad rap in history. He has gone down in history as Doubting, Doubting Thomas. Uh, <laughs> great. Thanks a lot. Right? I mean, uh, I, I love this uh, painting by Caravaggios. Um, Caravaggios. Uh, his interpretation of this scene is so compelling to me because, uh, like, like Christy mentioned, that uh, Jesus isn't critical of Thomas. He's not uh, like shaking his head. How dare you doubt? Uh, it's simply inviting him. Go, go ahead. Check it out. Uh, put your hand here. Stick your hand in my side. 
uh, he meets Thomas where he's at. And I simply believe that part of the true faith journey always includes doubt. If we never doubt, we just blindly believe everything in the faith journey. Uh, I don't know that it's truly our faith journey. Uh, and this journey of encountering doubt and belief and experience and more doubt and more belief and more experience is just simply a part of the beauty of this faith journey that the risen Christ invites us into. It, and so I simply want to say to you, if you have doubts, good for you. Because doubts are a part of the story. It's a part of the journey. Uh, it's part of the journey of faith. Um, next slide. Anyone read this book, uh, Prayer for Own Meanie by John Irving? Okay, yeah, all right, good. Uh, I read this book a number of years ago. I loved it. It's so fantastic. Uh, and a couple years after I read this book, Jenna and I went with some friends to a movie called Simon Birch, and I had not watched the trailer to Simon Birch. And so I'm sitting in the theater, and the, the film begins, and the narrator begins to speak, and it's the opening line of Owen Meany. Only Owen Meany's name has been changed to Simon Birch. And I'm like, oh my goodness, they made a prayer for Owen Meany into a movie. And I got so excited, I'm watching it. And then the movie ended halfway through the book. And I was so shocked, I kept sitting there thinking the movie was gonna continue. And I was so let down, and frankly, I was ticked off. Uh, <laughs> I was like, they ruined the book. And I found out later that John Irving was like, if, if you're gonna do that to the book, you don't get to use the name Owen Meany. You gotta change the name. So they called it Simon Birch. But uh, the, in this book, the narrator is also named John. And this is how the opening lines of the book. I am doomed to remember a boy with a wrecked voice, not because of his voice, or because he was the smallest person I ever knew, or even because he was the instrument of my mother's death, but because he is the reason I believe in God. I am a Christian because of Owen Meany. Uh, and, and this novel continues this beautiful journey of these two boys that grow up to be men uh, and, and their journey together. And at one point in the book, um, John and Owen Meany are sitting in a schoolyard where there is a sculpture of Mary Magdalene. And they are talking, and then uh, it grows dark, and it grows so dark, it's like pitch black, they can no longer see the statue. And Owen is saying, says to John, uh, do you think the statue's still there? And John's like, oh, of course the statue's still there. Owen says, you have no doubt she's there? Of course I have no doubt, I said, but you can't see her, you could be wrong. No, I'm not wrong, she's there, I know she's there, I yelled at him. You absolutely know she's there, even though you can't see her, he asked me. Yes, I screamed. Well, now you know how I feel about God, said Owen Meany. I can't see him, but I absolutely know he is there. Uh, and th this beautiful journey of basically John needing 
needing to have a friend like Owen who has that kind of faith because John doesn't. Uh, he's a skeptic. And I, I wonder sometimes if that's the way it is for us. Like, if we have doubts, if we're in a season of doubt and disbelief and, and, and heartache, we are invited to cling on to the faith and story and experience of another who is in a season where they know. They simply know uh, God exists. Uh, Carl Jung was being interviewed two years before his death. It was a televised interview. And the interviewer asked Jung about his religious background. He said, well, I was raised Swiss Reformed. Uh, did you go to church? Oh, yes, we went to church all the time. Did you believe in God? Yes, I believed in God. Then the interviewer says, do you believe in God now? And this is what Jung said. Now, difficult to answer. I know. I don't need to believe. I know. Uh, how did he arrive there? Uh, Jung somehow went through this journey of belief to faith to experience, where he, he just simply knew. I tell you these stories of Owen Meany and Carl Jung because uh, we, at times, simply need to cling on to the faith of another. And if you're doubting, it's fine. It's okay. This is the beauty of community because there are going to be seasons of doubt for you where you need to cling on to the season of knowing of another. And there's going to be seasons of knowing for you where someone who is living in doubt is going to need to cling on to the season of knowing in you. And this is why Jesus invited us to be a community together, why one of the richest metaphors of the church is the body of Christ. When one part is hurting, the other is strengthened. Uh, and we do this journey together. And the way we experience the risen Christ is in each other. We cannot simply be a body of people who intellectually assent to certain doctrines and certain beliefs. We must experience the risen Christ in each other. I must experience the risen Christ in you, and you must experience the risen Christ in me. This line, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Th this, again, is like a whole new creation bursting forth. This isn't the first time the Spirit had been given. Way back in the story in Genesis 2, next slide, we, we see God formed a human from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the human became a living being. It's like Jesus enters this locked room and says, let's do this all over again. And breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. That word breath is the word spirit in the Hebrew. It's breath, wind, spirit, all the same word. It's like God breathed into the first human the spirit of life. 
the very Spirit of God, and every breath in and every breath out is God's life-giving Spirit in us and through us. And Jesus breathes that Spirit on us, invites us to breathe that Spirit on everyone we encounter. And so that leads me to this practice I want to do before we take this bread and dip it in the cup and remember the gift of Jesus and all he gave to us. And there, there are, uh, I look out in this room and you, you all are very young, but I just want to tell you about the, this recent study that talks about if we were to take 15 to 20 minutes a day to simply pay attention to our breath and meditate. Uh, there's this study that was done of 50-year-olds and those in their 20s. And the gray matter in the 50-year-olds who engaged this practice every day was the same as the gray matter in the 20-year-olds. Uh, and, and this simply is a gift from God. Uh, and as Christians, we have been practicing meditation for 2,000 years. The, the, the psalmist tells us, meditate uh, on the word day and night. Uh, what we just did at the beginning, meditating on the text. Uh, the psalmist talks about meditating on God's mighty works, that God is revealing himself through the natural world in beautiful and amazing ways. Uh, uh, if we just paid attention to God's spirit, moving through us. This ancient sacred name God gave Moses, I am who I am, uh, the Hebrew word Yahweh. And scholars believe that it's simply the sound of breathing, that the very first word you ever said was your very first breath. You spoke the sacred name of God when you came out of the womb, and the very last word you will ever speak, your very last breath, will be the sacred name of God, Yahweh. Uh, the most ardent atheist in the world is speaking the sacred name of God with every breath they take. Uh, so I want to invite you, let's just start by taking one deep breath. And then on the inhale, Yah. And I want to invite John to come and continue to focus on your breath, the presence of God, God's very spirit moving through you. And if the rest of the band will come, I want to read you something as we continue to breathe and focus on God's presence moving through us. You know, uh, Thomas wanted to see with his eyes, but uh, the fact is it, eyes reveal to us things that we discern or translate as facts, but the eyes can't see deeper truth. Uh, it, that requires the eyes of the heart to discern an even deeper truth, an even deeper reality. 
so let's once again imagine ourselves in that locked room. All the disciples are there, and Jesus turns to Thomas like he's the only one in the world in that moment. He's filled with enormous kindness and invites him to see for himself. I don't know what must have passed through the mind and heart of Thomas in that moment, but it is as if for the first time Thomas sees, really sees. He sees not the fact of Jesus, but the truth of Jesus, the truth of who Jesus was for him. In the light of that truth, everything else becomes suddenly unimportant, and his only response could be, my Lord and my God. He had seen him with the eye of his heart, and there was nothing more he could say, nothing more he needed to say. Imagine ourselves into that part of the story. Have we ever come close to seeing the truth of Jesus the way Thomas did then? I believe that opportunity is in front of each of us in each moment, to see the truth of Jesus in the world around us, to see the truth of Jesus in the faces of each person we encounter, to see the truth of Jesus when, he, when we sing these songs and when we open the text of scripture and when we pause and when we take the bread and the cup. He is present in the silence of waiting, longing, and listening. We see him when people reveal to us the love of Christ and we see him in the moments by his spirit alive in us where we reveal the love of Christ to others. We have seen him in our endless longing for him, even when we don't know who it is we are longing for. We have not seen him with our physical eyes the way Thomas did, but I wonder in the long run what difference it would make. What makes all the difference in the world is the one whom from time to time by grace, we have seen with our hearts, who is always there for us. To see him with the heart is to know that in the long run, his kind of life is the only life worth living. To see him with the heart is not only to believe in him, but little by little to become bearers to each other of his healing life until we finally are healed and whole and alive within ourselves. To see him with the heart is to take heart, to grow true hearts at last. And that, my friends, is my deep longing and hope for all of us. May we practice resurrection. As you come and take the bread and dip it in the cup, may you encounter the risen Christ anew this morning.